November 8, 2011 in Mwilambar, Australia on Six Loving Exchanges.
So we were going to start this class with a game, but it doesn't look like anybody brought the, the facility for our game. So we will just do that. Oh, very good. Thank you. I had also asked for a plate of Maha sweets, but I guess that's just like not happening. I don't know if people be motivated by fruits. We have to be quickly. We may go back to that thing. Okay. I like. Can I write on the board? Sure. Yeah, yeah but I probably want to turn over. Do we have chalk? Can we move the board over here? Or I have someone write on the board for me. How could you get the maximum number of sweets? I went in 
think for a minute, just think for a minute, out of the box saying, how could you get the maximum number of suits? Yes, we'll do the, the uh, deal with your opponent. Well, you kick someone weaker, you make sure you kick someone who you know you're going to beat. Are you kicking someone else? If your opponent is a little bit weaker, got it. So you make a deal that you just keep going back and forth, and then you just get half the speed. So it's really interesting because we actually played this game in Tier 5 too when I was teaching this. And it took me about five minutes to figure that out. And give it a few minutes. You know, if you really want the max, maximum number of streets you go over. And another, um, another game that we sometimes play at the seminar is everybody gets a piece of string. And we say, okay, tie the string around the right wrist. And then we get into partners and say, tie the string around each other's right wrist. So basically, the value of cooperation, the value of win-win. I'd like you right now, if you could all suggest, uh, different actions, different behaviors that demonstrate things such as cooperation or affection, either cooperation or affection, and we'll write them on the board. Like how you affection? Yes, what sorts of behaviors indicate or communicate cooperation and, cooperation and affection? Yes. Offering Prasad. Offering Prasad, okay. Doing something for the other person, like serving. Okay. Doing something for them, helping them out. Is this like affection in general? Yeah. Affection in general or cooperation in general? No, he just is asking the clarifying point. Praising someone? Yes? Listening. Listening. Helping. What? Helping. Helping? Well, we have helping. Tolerating. Tolerating. Sharing. I was reading about, where was it? I think it was an African country where the tradition which is being lost, it was particularly among the women, that they had a system that they called gifting. That every day you were supposed to give at least something as a gift. And that might not be a tangible object, it might be a gift of your time. You know, you, Someone's at your house, you feed them, or a neighbor kids over, it's bath time, you also give them a bath, and whatever. But it could also be giving tangible goods. And your status in the community was based on how often and how much you were gifting. And people who had large accumulation of wealth were looked down on, because that means that it wasn't, they weren't gifting very much. And the idea was that everything was going to come back to you. You know, that by the whole community giving, you're also going to get back what you needed, right? And they said that the modern cash economy was destroying this culture. Because it was, it was never cash gifts, it was always the gifts of, of time or energy or tangible objects. So, okay, sharing. Okay, what else? Any other? Feeling for someone? Feeling for someone? How do you get the feeling for I don't know. 
gifts. Changes between devotees. 
God was giving that as his reason for establishing this one. And he also said, hopefully I can find it. It's in this report, I'm not going to find it right now, but Robert says that our society is nourished by these six kinds of loving exchanges. So I, I think those two statements Much more than with our physical exchanges. 
And it's interesting that Bhakti Matakur talks about three levels of rasa. He says that there's earthly rasa, heavenly rasa, and spiritual rasa. And earthly rasa, he talks about that that's gross bodily sense gratification. You know, soft things to touch, pleasant things to hear, nice things to taste, pleasant things to smell, beautiful things to see. That's the gross platform of rasa. Then the subtle platform of rasa is emotional exchanges, which he says is heavenly. That's on the level of the devas. That's their enjoyment. And then there's the spiritual rasas, which are based strictly on selfless love. But this exchange of really these sort of things, empathy sharing, I, I think we can maybe pick a couple of these that we can talk about. And then we're going to uh, go on to sort of a, a general overview. I'd like to look at praising and complimenting. So how to praise and compliment people in such a way that we really nourish these exchanges of love. Again, remember Prabhupada's two statements that the Islam society is established to facilitate these exchanges and that these exchanges nourish our life in Christian consciousness. So often we think praising means a very general statement about somebody's character. You're a nice person. Or you're helpful. Or you're good loading, or something like that. That kind of praise is not very helpful or enlightening. Anybody have any idea why? Hmm? It's, it's very gentle. How do you feel when you get praise like that? If someone says to you, you know, I say, you're such a sincere devotee. You don't ask for money. <laughs> okay, why is it that when we give general praise, people almost immediately think we're being insincere? It's very interesting. If someone gives me general praise, my response is usually, they're not sincere. What other responses do I have to that? I'm going to see why in a minute we tend to think that such a phrase isn't sincere. How else do you respond? You shut off? Yeah, we do shut off. I know what, what my own mind does. If someone says, oh, I'm glad you're so something. I think of all the ways in which I'm not something. It's like I almost argue with them in my own mind. I mean, they're so responsible. And I think, okay, I told that person I helped them and I forgot about it. I got to the bottom line, you know, and I never got to them. I think of all the times that I was irresponsible. And so I don't really, yeah, I shut down. I just don't accept it. I think one of the main reasons we think that such a phrase is insincere is it doesn't, we don't have any evidence. The person's not giving us any evidence. And it's something you can say to anybody without knowing them, without meaning anything. There's, there's no evidence that you mean at all. Oh, you're, oh, you're such a nice person. What are you basing them? So the way to praise and compliment people so that they really feel strongly is this word nourished requires, we have a listening there, it requires a lot of listening and observation and thought. But it is so powerful. A few years ago I was visiting a temple that seems to go through constant political upheaval. 
As soon as they settle, settle it, they go through it again. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I have some idea what it is there. But anyway, they go through over and over and over and over again. It's been going on for decades. So we got everybody in the town from all the different parties, and some of them had their lawyers there. No kidding. And we just asked everybody to phrase in the way I'm about to tell you. And the lawyers wrote to me afterwards and said, we accomplished more in these two hours than we have in the last five years. I've been dealing with this stuff here. It was such an amazing thing. And that is if you really meditate on what are the persons behind the scenes activities. What are they doing that's not seen? As one of my friends recently said to me, she said, oh, you're good at looking behind the curtain. I thought, yes, that's what I'm trying to do. To think about what people, what sacrifices people are making that's invisible. Oh, so let's say somebody's cooking regularly. So what are they doing? Okay, well, they're planning the menus. They probably often have to cook without the proper ingredients. You know, they go to the kitchen thinking, I'm going to cook this. And then they find out that the person before them used that. You know, I was just recently speaking to a town president who said, yeah, they have householders from the community, they often come in and they help out the kitchen, but then they use all the local that we plan to use for such and such. And we're glad they help out, but then when the next cook comes in, you know, and they want to make cauliflower before as well, there's no cauliflower. So, you know, you have to readjust what you're cooking, and you've got to cook to a tight schedule because the offering has to be done at exactly the right minute. You know, you can cook in a deep kitchen, you know, but it's, it can be really intense. You don't have like a five minute leeway. And the ingredients are, they're supposed to be, sometimes the pots haven't been washed, sometimes you've got to wash the pots yourself, or sometimes the pots have been washed but not properly, and you've got to pick up a pot that's supposed to be clean, and it's not. And you've got this tight schedule, and the, the ingredients you want aren't there, the pot's not really clean, you've got to clean the pot. And then maybe the stove doesn't work properly or something. Right? And then you finally cook it and you get it done on time. And, and then somebody comes up to you afterwards and says, you know, this stuff was a little salty. <laughs> <laughs> so if you meditate on that, and see, you know, we tend to go to somebody and say, oh, you're a good cook. Okay. But if I say, look, I bet you you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. And this is what it's like and this is what it's like. And then you can end with that, you know, thank you for being in the kitchen. Thank you for being in the kitchen. I'm really glad we have people like you there. That's the kind of praise that we can fully take in and fully accept and it fully nourishes us, and that we believe the other person is sincere because they had to be really thinking about us. I mean, it is possible to use that kind of phrase in sincerely to try to get people to use anything sincerely, I suppose. You know, doctors offer the hopes of new prayers for sincerely to get some material advantage and even solve our vision. But it's, it's hard to offer that kind of praise sincerely because as soon as you start really meditating on the behind-the-scenes sacrifices of someone, you come to genuinely appreciate them. And that's exactly what we want people to do for us. And I hope we ever do. Like today when I went to your class and I said, how would you make a book? And I was actually talking about how to make a book. 
to, to think about, I'd say at least once in a month, to give that kind of compliment to everybody that we come in contact with. But that may mean if we've done some of their, something similar to them in our life, then we can relate to our own experiences. If not, we may have to really look at it. You know, I can tell you to take care of the cows. I have taken care of cows myself. I know something about taking care of cows. I know you've got to go them twice a day, right? Every single day. That means you can't go much of anywhere. So if everybody else is going to a big festival and they know I'm doing this and that, you're going to go with the cows. And you've got to do it every day. You can't skip even one no game of the cows with the messiahs, right? And usually one monkey has to be done really early in the morning. So everybody else is doing their side and you're out looking cows. You know, when you look at the cows, it's, you know, they're cows and animals. And you usually got to wear boots and stuff like that because you've got to mug through the cow dung. So there you are early in the morning, everyone's in their nice clothes and saris and all clean, and there you are in your mucking about clothes. And you know that somebody's visiting the temple and looks at you and goes, who's that guest? Right? And you've got, you've got to be there every day. And some of the cows sometimes are finicky or they're sick and you've got to take out your time for that. And probably sometimes you've got to be up in the middle of the night like you have to do with a little kid, right? Taking care of them. And you've got to make sure that the milk is stored nicely. Not too hot, not too cold, not too clean. You've got to get it on time and carry it. You've got to make some arrangement for transporting it. It can be heavy, it can spill. And you usually get contaminated, you're always meditating. So I get these horses that way. So I, I never, well, I always tried to work out not very successfully. <laughs> but I spent time, you know, going to the barns and, and, and talking to them and asking them. So with everybody's service, that, that's real praise and that's real compliment. And then you can say to somebody, I'm glad we've got such a dependable person like you. Probably must be really pleased with how you're taking care of the cows. Then you can say a general thing like that. After you've talked about the specifics, and it's meaningful, isn't it? Because you know the person's really meditating. You know, or, or I have some idea, they haven't run a project this big anywhere close to it. But I have some idea of the kind of things you do. I mean, I see you walking around with your phone all the time. I'm sure you love to turn off your phone and put it in a drawer for a week. And now you know you have a phone. But in order to manage everything, you've got to be aware of things all the time. Who's doing this? Because everyone depends on you. You know, if you're not there, they're going to say, hey, try to call you what that is. And then something won't be done on time. And you're going to think, okay, how am I going to get this place? How much debt did you have? Like half a million dollars in debt? And how am I going to get from half a million dollars in debt to a flourishing community? What kind of business can I have? that's going to be work with the community, that's going to fit with the goals of the community, and it's an inclusion problem, and it's likely to make money, and you decide on your side, but that's tough. I think 80% of restaurants fail. You know, you've really got to look at location, you've got to look at what your market's going to want, you have to do some market research. Hey, you have to do a lot of careful financial planning and work out the cost of the road that you want to make sure that you pay the voters fairly, that you're paying at the same time, you don't want to pay too much to the physical owner. And then not only thinking about that, you've got to make sure that the deeds get taken care of, and the gardens get taken care of, and everybody comes to you with their interpersonal problems. This person's a missile. 
So even if devotees are getting paid, it's still a voluntary association. You know, I really doubt that there's more than a handful of devotees in the world who get paid for their service, what they would get paid for doing an equal amount of work outside. And people, they're here voluntarily, they're giving their heart. We always respect that.
and probably don't have any papers or pencils to do this. But I'd like each of us to think of some way that we could in the next, let's say, the next week or two. What could we do to improve the quality or the quantity or both of some of these six loving exchanges? So, or can I have my, where's my writer? Can you write that in the book? Raise that. Just what's wrong with mine. That's all wonderful. 
and the vibration. So, after positive, if you could just make a little dash, yeah, over there, and say, what do I want instead? So that's the question to ask yourself if you come up with a negative goal. The negative goal is, you know, I'm going to stop yelling at my wife. Or I'm going to stop, what do I want instead? Or, you know, I'm going to stop ignoring the devotees. Or I'm going to stop giving general praise. It's what do I want instead? Can you give me an example of a negative goal? Somebody give me an example of a negative goal. I don't want to sleep in the morning. Okay? What do I want instead? I want to get to Now, that's very simple. If we have a more complicated one, such as, I don't want to be proud when I talk to a devotee. So I say, what do you want instead? I want to be humble. But what else could it be? Might be, what else besides humble instead of proud? Sincere. Hmm? Sincere? What else could it be? Honest. Could be considerate. Okay. Could be instead of being proud, I want to praise others. In other words, there might be a lot of different alternatives which are all quite different from each other. Or if we say, I don't want to get angry at the devotees, what would be the alternatives? Instead of getting angry, I might want to be. Of my thoughts, my emotions, and my behaviors. 
If you try to change your behaviors without changing your thoughts and feelings, it may not last. And if you try to change your thoughts and feelings without an matching behavior, it may remain on a sentimental platform. So if I say, okay, well, I'm, I want to, uh, in a positive way, I want to give more gifts to the devotees. That's under my control. I'm going to be specific. Okay, I'm going to give at least one gift a week to some devotee in the community. But if my thoughts are, oh, I don't want to give anything. I don't know if I want to spend money. I don't want to spend time. It's too much trouble. What about me? Who's going to give it to me? I'm going to be the only one giving it to the community. No, you're going to have to give it to me. And I'll be getting poor if everybody else is working. If that's my thoughts, you know, I probably won't be able to maintain my gift giving. So when one wants to really look at what will I do, how will I think about it, and how will I feel about it. Okay, and then the next one is also another specific. Again, number four is again more specific. And this is time, place, and circumstance. So, I had the devotee I know who was uh, running an a, a, a sun project, and the local, according to the law, the project should have been exempt from taxes. But there was a new tax person, and he was saying, no, you guys have to pay taxes. And the devotee said, why? He said, because you have people living on your property. And he said, well, that's not prohibited, according to the law. Yes, it is. You can't have anyone living on your property. So they were fighting it out. And at one point, one of the tax people came to the property and asked this devotee, who was the, the president of the project, he said, so what's your position here? He said, well, I'm the custodian. Do you know what a custodian is? It's like a janitor, someone who cleans. But it can mean someone who cleans, but it also means someone who takes care of something. You might be caretaker. So he was trying to be humble. Instead of saying, well, I'm the president, which he was, he said, I'm the custodian. So then when there was the hearing, I was there. Anyway, then when the hearing took place, and this guy was arguing, well, they should have to pay taxes because they live on the property. And then the lawyer for the devotee said, well, according to the law, the, the president and the ministers, they can live on the property. And then the tax guy said, yeah, but he's not a president or minister, he's a custodian. And the judge said, are you a custodian? He said, well, I'm the president. I said, well, I, I went there and I asked him, what are you? He said, I'm a custodian. And the judge said, did you say that? He said, yeah, the devotee saw the case. They wanted on appeal, but in the meantime, they had to pay quite a bit in taxes to look on appeal. So my point is, humility is not always the proper behavior. And if you make a plan without having a provision for time, place, and circumstance, you can also fail. So if you say, I'm going to wake up early in the morning, every single morning, well, there might be some circumstance where that's really not a good idea. Maybe you were traveling for 30 hours and went to bed at 1 in the morning and really you shouldn't get up at 3 o'clock that morning. And if you make a plan that doesn't have any provision for time, place, and circumstance, what can happen is you can throw out the whole plan. You know, you lose the tax cases, you're humble, and then you decide, oh, this really is one. I'm not going to bother with it. Instead of just saying, wait a minute, there's some circumstances in which you want to apply. So when you come up with your plan, you may think about what time, place, and circumstance am I going to apply. And the fifth thing is harmony with one's life. So this is also very important. 
that whatever plans we make to increase the six level exchange time plans should be things that we're actually willing to do. Everything has a cost. Assume that everything has a cost. And ask yourself, what is the cost? Don't say, is there a cost? Assume that there's a cost. Hey, what is the cost, and am I willing to pay it completely? Because sometimes you may say, whoa, I'd like to do that, but not at that cost. And by not taking those things into consideration, people make plans that then fail. Because they have this lofty goal, but they're not willing to pay the price for it. So generally, then you have to step back and make a plan that you're willing to do. So my request to all of you, if you'd like to uh, enter into, not just for you, my request for me too. Let's read this again. The International Society for Christian Consciousness has been established to facilitate these six kinds of loving exchanges between devotees. The life of the Christian Conscious Society is nourished by the six types of loving exchange among the members. So if we'd like to have a society that fulfills Prabhupada's mission, and if we'd like to personally feel nourished in our Christian conscious life, then each of us should do our part to gradually keep increasing at least the quality and if possible also the quantity of how we're engaging in these six loving exchanges. And, and to, to look at all the different areas we looked at and many more that we can get a chance to look at and see how can I become really expert, one of the qualities of the devotee is doctor or expert. Prabhupada said that means the devotee should know something of everything, everything of something. So to really do our service expertly, not just to do our, you know, digesting expertly, and our cow working expertly, and our floor cleaning expertly, and our baby caring for expertly, but also to become really expert in our interpersonal dealings with each other. So that we personally feel nourished, so that we feel, yes, this kind is the place where I get nourished in my devotion. Not because everybody else is nourishing me, but because I am contributing to the nourishment. Right? And it's also a place where everyone who comes feels nourished. So do you have potlucks here? Do you know what that is? Where everybody brings a preparation to eat? What do you call it? Yeah, potluck, but occasionally. Occasionally. Do you call it potluck? What do you call it? Lazy cook. Everyone bring a prayer. Lazy cook? Yeah. Uh, every, everyone, everyone bring a prayer. Everyone bring a prayer. We need a name for it. Maybe it's every second Friday and everyone brings a prayer. Everyone brings a prayer. Okay. So, you know, if everybody brings something small, you have a huge feast. So it's something like that. And if everyone thinks, well, everyone else will bring, then there's nothing. So it's the same way with the six loving exchanges. If I have a mood that I'm only going to be on the receiving end, and everyone else is going to create a loving society, or the leaders are going to create a loving society, and we as members don't have to do anything, we can just be loved. We have loving leaders and loved members. You know, but everybody should be loving and loved. And by the way, the leaders will be loved too, they're just instantly. So we all do our own part. We all do our own part. I think, how, how can, what can I do? I, I can't do much. I mean, honestly, as one in Jiva, I really can't do very much. 
are interesting studies about how our behaviors influence, and we talked about how we're influenced by others yesterday, how we're influenced by the people we know. They've done studies that if your friends are overweight, you're much more likely to be overweight. Even if your friends live hundreds or thousands of kilometers away. That was that bizarre. What's really bizarre is you're more likely to be overweight if your friends and your friends are overweight. And they calculated that each of us influences the behavior of 1,000 people. So we can each do more than we think. Even if we're very little and we're just in the background and we may think that our behavior doesn't count for anything. But it can just be a little thing. You know, like whenever somebody serves me prasada, I'll smile, I'll get smiling out there, right? serves me prasad, I'll smile and I'll say thank you very much. Or just smile with them. Just acknowledge them. Just some acknowledgement. Just that one little thing can make a huge difference. So you can find the, the small things to do. We're talking about giving people praise and compliments as meaningful. Something like that. That makes a big difference. And hopefully as our generations go on, and as our Christian conscious society expands, then people say, oh, what about the Hare Krishnas, you know? Whenever I go around the Hare Krishnas, I really just feel nourished by all of the lovely exchanges among the members. That's the kind of thing that God would want to all of us to be able to say. Okay, well, it's almost understood. If anybody has just a quick question, comment, condition, subtraction, correction. Yes. Um, this isn't so much about what you were just saying then, but um, you said something about Sri Prabhupada and this drunkard man giving him toilet paper. What was that about? Oh, that was uh, in the very first temple on 26 Second Avenue. So the Lower East Side is very close to a place called the Bowery, where the homeless drunks congregate. And as Prabhupada was giving a class, he was a little bit of a class, and some drunken man comes in the class, goes back and looks in the toilet room, goes back out again, then comes back and gets the toilet paper, and puts it in the toilet room. And as he left the second time, Prabhupada said, just see, he is not in order. In other words, he's not, he's not acting properly, but he said he's trying to do some service. And Prabhupada was very appreciative. I'm sure if you asked Dr. Marsh about that, he was probably there. Mm -hmm. Can you give a better uh, explanation of this story? Yes. Yeah, it's written in Mahalaj's book. Yeah. I just read it this morning. Oh, just this morning? Yeah. Oh, there you are. Yes, sir. I've been reading a little book about Mahalaj before we came to the rest. Everyone that this manager was being interviewing, that's exactly what they all say. They say he used to have so nice relationships with everybody. So he was like the perfect example. Yes. I mean, to the point your minister who talks about how when his father went home, Prabhupada called the minister who was father a fool. But the man was just smiling and laughing. He was happy. 
I mean, it's like when my proper talk to my father and called him demon. But and my father just my father walked out of that meeting and said, Now I know how you join this society. That's a genuine saintly person. So I mean Prabhupada could deliver even very strong messages with such a, a care for the other person and without any envy. It's really astonishing. Tried to live in the temple of Delhi. 
He calculated that he could print 800 magazines for the same price as 400. And the town president politely asked him to leave. He also asked for two dogies because his dogies had holes in them. And the town president said, I'm very sorry. Uh, you're advocating wrong charts, telling them to go out of reach. We don't want to print double the number of magazines because then we'll have to distribute them and that will be a hardship for us. And I'm sorry, we cannot provide you with two dogies. He said, there's a very nice park I'm going on right now in Rindal, why don't you go there? So he was very polite and kicked out of the Delhi Temple. And then there was another great about Temple where Prabhupada wanted to, uh, to go to work on publishing his books. And they told him, we only have the money for publishing our own books, or we can't talk So Prabhupada had to do things practically on his own. And when he came to America, he kept asking members of the Bodhima to help him. And they didn't. I mean, there are more sense of thinking we're not in some part those, but he just didn't get any help. Nobody said money, nobody said help. And he kept trying, I think it was about in 1972, that Shiva Prabhupada stopped trying to work with the Bodhima. And Prabhupada also had some very bad experiences where some of his godbrothers would uh, criticize him to his disciples. He had a couple of godbrothers reinitiate his disciples and try to take it away from him. And gradually, he, he, it wasn't immediately, but gradually probably more and more started telling us to stay away from, from my brothers. Just don't deal with them, don't go to their centers, don't even sell them our books, just stay away from them. So, you know, my training when Robert was on the planet was just to stay away. To be respectful, not to be critical, but to keep a distance. So, and of course, at the end, Sometimes you would invite someone more, sometimes you would go to their mats, sometimes you would have some communication with them. Um, certain dialogues, like Sri Ramarsh, particularly, really encouraged them to get out and preach. So it was, but in our, our general instruction was keep a respectful distance because of what he went through. It wasn't, that wasn't Sri Prabhupada's initial way of thinking at all. So, what would Sri Prabhupada want us to do right now? My answer is, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think you presume that, that any of us can say, what would you probably want to do with this particular circumstance when it's something where he gave different answers at different times? It's, it's yours. If Prabhupada consistently gave a certain answer to something, in all circumstances, with all people, at all times, but we probably gave different, different responses and changing circumstances, then how can you say what he would do as a circumstance would change? I don't think he could. What's my personal opinion? This is just my personal opinion. And it's nothing more or less than my personal opinion. I don't know how I feel that is. It's that the Mahaprabhu's movement is bigger than the institution of Islam. Always has been. The institution of Islam and Mahaprabhu's movement are not exactly the same. Islam has a, a role to play. And I like to think as an Islam member, and I love Islam that the role that Islam has to play is a very big one. And at least up until now, Islam is playing a major role. There's no other major players on the field. With all due respect to everybody else, I'm sorry. But there aren't any other major players right now. Maybe there will be in 100 years or 200 years or 500 years. I've also seen practically that these other groups are very anxious to get Islam's approval. I was invited to the World Vice-Chart Association to present our children's books. And everybody wanted to know, are you here as an official ISKCON person? I said, no. Actually, I found out Krishna Shaker who had gone as an official ISKCON person here before. 
But I saw that they all wanted you know, this kind of substance. That we can give classes in this kind of temples, so we can sell our books in this kind of temples. And this kind isn't particularly interested in being accepted by them. We don't particularly care. I don't know very many of some people that particularly care. Can we preach in all these other places? Can we be accepted by them? So, you know, this kind is, at least for the time being, you know, for the foreseeable future, we're still the vanguard. Uh, I like what I like to see, and this is not just Islam's responsibility, I'm afraid it's everybody's responsibility, it's not something that Islam can do one-sided, is that there's mutual respect. And I have been to devoted communities where there is mutual respect. I've been to devoted communities where the different Bodhi Vaishnava groups can get together for certain things, not everything, in a way that's mutually respectful. So it's possible. But often people don't want to do that. They want to get together and criticize. They want to get together and say, why don't you do this time? I mean, that's... You don't go into somebody's house and say, why don't you run away from your parents and come live in my house? It's just like a kid. You don't go into someone's house and say, well, why don't you leave your husband and have me instead? That's just, everybody understands that that's not a Same thing, people who want to be right. They say, look, they don't have a problem. They don't have a problem. 
as those individuals are just in Prabhupada into Krishna, it's not my business. I don't know where it is, and I don't have to know where it is. It's nothing to do with me. My relationship with Prabhupada and Krishna has nothing to do with that person's relationship with Prabhupada and Krishna. That's, I'm not going to say such and such person is disloyal with Prabhupada. I don't want to know. That Prabhupada would decide that. That's my opinion. But I have to decide how I'm going to become intimately associated with. And I will see who's going to help merge my Christian consciousness. That's an individual decision that I have to make. You have to make an individual decision. And I see that people who run his subconscious and temples have to ask people who are going to come and, and criticize that to come. And I remember once when my mother was visiting us, I don't think it was maybe two years, and uh, she was saying a lot of really nasty things. And my husband looked at her and said, if you want my wife to leave this room and leave her husband and leave her son, then you are not welcome to these And she said, well, no one wants to leave her son. <laughs> so, you know, if, if people are going to have the mood that they're coming in order to find fault and in order to have people go someplace else, then I think it's natural you have to say sorry you're not welcome to What can we do? And that's just my very simple answer. I think there's practical etiquette and practical managerial considerations. I think there are real differences between these groups. They're not all one. They may all be part of a lot of groups, but we're not all one. We're just not. There's different flavors. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad, but it's different. And if there's disrespect, you have to, you have to just operate all the time, brush out. And you've got, you've got to make that personal decision. I don't think that it's profitable to look at somebody anywhere else, whether they're this time or anywhere they are, and say, I know what your relationship with Prabhupada and Krishna is. I don't think it's either profitable. I don't see the point in that. We can talk, we can speak on principle. We, we can talk about Shastra principles and how that applies to you and your you. Maybe if you're in a position of authority and you have to make practical decisions. I think the best I can do for them. I said the last thing I want to say is there's groups and then there's individuals. And not everybody who's in the same group is the same. You know, it's just there are individuals. Individuals act differently. We just got a letter to be TGM from the publisher, not for a moment. We've been back to God for years and years and years and years and years. And she's a, a top Jewish theologian. So, you know, we have there people who are Catholic or Muslim or Jewish who have tremendous respect for Prabhupada Krishna. And the same way there are people, you know, who followers of Sri Maharaj or now Sri Maharaj's camp is split into so many. Govinda Maharaj and Trigar Swami. Govinda Maharaj's camp is now split as a charity Maharaj and others. People who follow the Maharaj. Our good majority of them are just like the there are, you know, they, they, they have to look at the individuals. We can't just say everybody, we can't just say everybody is kind of something. Mm -hmm. How can you say that? When you say everybody calls themselves a member of Islam, so what if I'm a true problem? You know, there's some management decisions, and there's also individual decisions. Is that okay? I think that's the best idea. How about you defend it? Yes. Oh, 
The reciprocation we're looking for is from Krishna. If, if I engage in loving behavior with others, looking for reciprocation from that person, I have the wrong object than affection. And that's called material attachment. That's the most simple definition of a material attachment. I'm serving you because I'm hoping that you're going to meet my need. That you're going to be some shelter for me in some way. It's not the first time I've been asked that question. Thank you for remembering. 